And as you're seated, please turn your Bible to the book of John, the book of John, chapter 15. Pastor Doug, thank you for leading us in prayer. Jennifer, thank you for sharing your gifts with us and singing and reminding us of the love of God. Uh, John chapter 15, and we'll look at verses 1 through 17 here. You know, sometimes I've been asked what my favorite chapter in the Bible is, and I know I've sat down with my kids and said, oh, it's got to be somewhere like Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, just grace and mercy and the, the, the power of God working in lives. And I've heard one of my other mentors say Genesis 15. And, you know, but once I started working on this passage, I thought, man, this chapter may be my one. If I was stranded on a desert island, would I pick John chapter 15 to be with me if I only got one chapter in the Bible? And I, I just pray you're as encouraged uh, and challenged by this as I have been over this, over this last week. So these are Jesus' words as he gives to his disciples the night that he's going to be betrayed and the night he's going to be crucified. So some of his last words before all that happens as well. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word, John chapter 15, read verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. So, so, so does religion make people better? Maybe you've known somebody who's got religion. And if you're a cynic, you'd probably say no. On the other side, many people believe that when a person becomes religious, it's going to make them better people. In many cases, we know that it's not. We know people who talk a lot about God, but on the other side, live contrary to that very way of life. Now, before we look at any others, I think we need to look at us. And I think this passage is going to have us look at ourselves. You know, why aren't we better? 
Why are we prone to cut moral corners? Why do we live irreligious lives without much attention to, get to, to God? Everyday life brings us reminders that we should do better. Maybe our marriage is struggling. Maybe we lose our temper or we can't get over a habit of sin. Maybe we compromise in a key conviction that we have. Maybe we lose a job or a boss or even someone that we love says that things better change. You know, when things like this happen, uh, people tend to think, well, you know, I need to be a better person. I need to get my act together. And, and oh, I know what I'll do. You know, I'll go to church. I need to go back to church. What often happens when a person does that? Too often, too frequently, people begin to notice that there's not really much change. Person goes back to where they started from. It's like it didn't work. It takes more than just getting religious or going back to church in order to be that better person. That's what we want to talk about today. Jesus wants us to live fruitful lives. You know, as I read this passage, you know, I, I was struck by how many repeated words there were. And one of the good things to have a Bible in front of you is, you know, is circle or underline or if you have, you know, a colored pencil to, to color highlight a word. And one of the words that we might want to highlight or underline in this is the word fruit or the word fruitfulness. I mean, just starting in verse 1 and all the way down to verse 17, you see repeatedly this word fruit. It certainly plays a center place in this passage. That's because God wants us to live fruitful lives. What's the fruit that he wants? You can talk about behavior, a life that is in accordance with his purposes, what he created us for. We certainly could look at a very important passage like Galatians chapter 5. You might want to write that down if, if uh, you're taking notes, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, because that does a very good job explaining the fruit that he wants to see in our lives. What is some of that fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He, he, he describes those things as fruits, results of a, of a vibrant Christian faith, things that God wants to see and to develop in our lives. And if we're honest, we want to see a lot of those things for ourselves, too, don't we? Why don't we have them? Jesus uses a, a pretty clear metaphor in the passage this morning. It illustrates some important spiritual truth, and there's three parts to it, essentially. We see, first of all, the vine. Jesus is that vine. We see that in verse 1. Next, you and I... We, we are the branches, the branches off that vine. We see that in verse 5. It describes us as the branches. And finally, in verse 1, we see God the Father's role. He's active in this as well, and, and his role is as the vine dresser, or some translations call him the gardener, the one who's taking care of the plants, who's taking care of that, that vine to see that it is, that it is fruitful, that, that, that the fruit that he wants to see grow off that vine is actually there. Now notice as we look in verse 1 what Jesus says. He doesn't just say he is the vine. He says he is the true vine, right? 
What does that mean? Is there like some fake vine that you buy at the store and put up around there and, and you wait to see if it grows and nothing does? You know, as you're pretending to be, you know, there are people who pretend to be something but aren't. What does it mean by the true vine? In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is often called the vine. It's often called the vine inside of the Old Testament. But, but something happens whenever it's called the vine in the Old Testament, every time that it's done so, it's talked about as being a, a fruitless vine. It's talking about a vine which you'd expect fruit to grow, expect to, to, to grow to become what it was created to do, but it, but it just doesn't. Psalm 80, starting in verse 8, it, it speaks about Israel as a vine, the nation of Israel as a vine, and its purposes. It says this, you, um, speaking to God, it says a prayer to God, you, you brought a vine out of Egypt, speaking about Israel. You drove out the nations, the land of Egypt, and, and you planted it. You cleared the ground for it, clearing the nations that were there. It took deep root, and it filled the land. The mountains were covered with his shade. The mighty cedars with his branches. You set out his branches to see, and it shoots to the, to the river. You know, we see a planting, an establishing, a growing, and also a purpose. The purpose of bringing shade. The purpose of bringing relief. Really bring the hope of, of, of God into the world. What a great position they were given at that time. There would be a shade of blessing to the nations for the glory and the goodness of God. The goodness of God would be declared. But what happened? They were unfaithful to their mission, and God judged them for it. You can look at verses 12 and 13. It goes on just immediately after what we just read about his blessing, but to see the difficulty. Why then have you broken down his walls? So that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from its forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Israel was supposed to bless the nations, but through selfishness and sin, they failed to, to bear the fruit that they were supposed to bear. And so Jesus takes this image of what Israel was supposed to be, what they were supposed to do, but didn't do, and he speaks about himself as being the true vine. Israel was not the true vine. God's intention was to build a spiritual kingdom of people, people who live transformed lives, living in obedience to his commands. It was a reminder to them and to all of us that, that, that this national connection with Israel was good, just as we might think that a, that a connection with the church is good. I mean, those connections are good. They're, they're important. They're, they're to be blessings. But, there's a huge but, that, that spiritual faithfulness only comes when we're connected to Jesus Christ. It only comes when we're connected to God himself. Not by our own connection with a certain nation, not with our own simple connection with the church. Faithfulness doesn't, or fruitfulness doesn't come through that external religion. You know, external religion doesn't work to really change us. Too often people think that just going to church will change them, but, but it won't. The vine of external religion will not give life. The vine of national religion won't either. The only way that we see true life coming, and Jesus points it to this, uh, to this in the passage, is to have an organic union with Jesus Christ through faith. Getting religious doesn't help. Self-help doesn't work. But union with Christ does give us the power 
to truly walk, and to truly change. So this is the, the seventh of the I am statements of Jesus. We've been looking at the I am statements of Jesus. I am something. And, and, and this is the seventh time he does this in the book of John. Um, and each time we see his declaration, I am, and then he shows uh, what, his, um, what he came to do, what he came to provide, but also a lot of his own identity of who he is. But we also saw something, we've been looking at this from the, from the beginning, that every one of those I am statements doesn't say something about just what he came to do and his work and his mission, but it shows his identity as being the son of God, the eternal creator God of the universe. And in every one of these I am statements, a reminder that there is something that only he can do, that no other person could do, and only he could do because of his being the eternal son of God. You know, so we see in every one of these I am statements, in, in, in the way that he dresses it, connecting him with, the, with, with God as he revealed himself inside the Old Testament, showing that divine power is at work in him. I have a long introduction today, so I'm not done with my introduction. So we'll get to my main points here in a minute. That's because we see inside the passage, remember we talked about that word we're supposed to underline? What word was that? Fruit. Fruit okay, right? Repeated. That fruitfulness really matters to God, right? Fruitfulness really matters to God. I mean, look at verse 2, because we look at two things that are important about fruit for, from, from, from God's perspective. What does God do in order to see fruit exist on this vine? And the first thing we see is that he removes unfaithful branches and he burns them. Here he's talking about his covenant people, people in the visible church, people who say they're Christians, people who say they believe in Jesus, but people who don't bear fruit for Jesus. They don't show new character. They don't show new habit. They don't show new life. They don't do things out of a love for Jesus Christ. They bear new fruit. They bear no fruit. And why? Because they don't believe. They're only connected him by religion. They're only connected him outwardly, by their words, by their rituals, but not by their faith. They have no organic connection with him. They have no faith in him, which is where that connection comes. How will he cut them off? I mean, we can see some get exposed publicly for their behaviors and their unbelieving, abusive behaviors. They can be exposed before the world. Maybe they're exposed as they give up their own faith. For a time, professing faith in Christ and walking with them, but eventually too much and they walk away. Or, or maybe these fruitless branches will be cut off just in that final judgment. But they will be cut off. Does fruit matter to God? I mean, you bet. By the number of times you underlined it, you see that it does. He removes fruitless branches also. But we see another way in the, in the way that God prunes. He prunes uh, fruitful branches to make them more fruitful. You know, I'll tell you, whenever I think of pruning things, the thing I think about the most is these trees out in the front. If you've been here ever for very long, you know, these trees, they look, and if, if you're new, you may not know this, you know, those trees have been with us a long time, and they do get pretty overgrown. And every once in a while, our deacons come about, and they give it a haircut. They don't just give it a haircut. I'm telling you, it, they look dead. That's how, there's everything that is green on there is gone. And you just think it's, it's gone and it's not going to exist anymore. And then, but what happens? You know, now you can look at them, you see the fullness over them. I know some people probably had anxiety that they were gone, but they're, but they're still alive and they're still doing well. Why? 
They get pruned. And, you know, because as they're pruned, all that, that, that life that that trunk has in it, drawing out of the soil, drawing from the sun, it just goes into uh, developing those new uh, branches. And God does something similar inside of our lives. Right? He prunes us. He prunes us through difficulty. He prunes us through suffering. He, he prunes us through the hardships that we face. He prunes us as he confronts us with our sin. And he brings us to sadness and grief over our sin as he humbles us. He prunes us as he gives us opportunities to deny ourselves and then to, to, to love someone else. And these times can be very hard. But they work for God's purposes and for our good. All right, so all this, I'm still in my introduction, by the way. Fruitfulness matters to God, right? It matters. It matters a lot. So our next question is this. How do we bear fruit, right? How do we bear fruit? How do we live fruitful Christian lives? How do we experience the power of God working inside of our lives? And Jesus gives us that answer as we look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. That's how we're spiritually fruitful by abiding in Jesus Christ. It is so important that that word shows up 10 times in the first 11 verses, and it shows up once in the later verse too. So again, we're looking for keywords here, underlining, circle, putting a heart around it, something like that. Abide is another good word to underline or to highlight. It's repeated so many times, we know that it is important. Now, abide means to remain in place. Abide means to tarry. Abide gives us, for, for us, as I understand it, is, is passively drawing on Christ's resources then for activity. And that's what we want to look at the rest of our time. How do we abide in Jesus Christ? How do we draw from his resources? And now here's where I get to the rest of my outline. And you can follow along if you have your bulletin there. So the first thing, how do we abide in Jesus Christ? The first thing we have to remember as we do this is abiding is the only way to grow spiritual fruit. In other words, don't try other ways. You want to abide? Stay in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me... You can do nothing. Okay, the only way you're going to bear fruit is by abiding in Jesus Christ. That's, that's what he says. And so as God expects fruit, you will not bear fruit by trying harder. You will not bear fruit by making new resolutions. You will not bear fruit by just hanging around the right people. The only way that you will bear fruit is by abiding in Jesus Christ. And some of us need to hear this. You're good with external religion, but you're not connected in a meaningful way with Jesus Christ. Or maybe you uh, want to work so hard for God, but you, but you won't rest in him by faith. And you wonder where the frustration, the difficulty comes from. How will you bear fruit? But it's biting in Jesus Christ. If you're a non-Christian here, you know, I, I, I give you a challenge. And the challenge is about fruit bearing. You know, just in your, in, in, in not believing right now, I challenge you to, 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 to live that moral life. 
and to live that moral life that you know according to what God would expect that he would want you to do. Stopping in your anger, stopping in your envy, stopping in your greed, your lying, your gossiping, your lusting, whatever it is, take those Ten Commandments and, and try to live them for a month. Maybe even keep a record of it. And if you do, maybe you'll find what I did when I tried to live a moral life because I thought that would make me happier, that you won't be able to. That's what Jesus says here. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You'll realize at certain times that you don't want to. That's when you give up. You give in. Spiritual faithfulness comes from Jesus Christ working in us and through us, our union with him through faith. But there's a promise as we abide in Jesus Christ is that he grows fruit. And not just fruit, but he'll grow abundant fruit. That's the best thing we can do is to abide in him. Now, worldly perspective of these things is, says that we need to do something, especially as a church. We need us to do something. Your, your job as a church is to do social things out in the world. Um, then we'll be fruitful. But, but notice what Jesus says here. Notice the order. First, abide. Abiding in Christ. That's why worship is so central. That's why getting the word is so central. First we abide, then fruit. You can't grow fruit without first abiding. It doesn't work that way. But as you abide, spiritual power works to accomplish his will. All right, so that's the first thing. It's only in Christ. Fruitfulness only comes through abiding in Christ, not in any other way. Don't, don't look to other ways to do that. Number two, abiding is letting God's word dwell in us and to shape us. Abiding is letting God's word dwell in us and to shape us. Look at verse 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father's will is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So you see that connection. Abiding in, in Christ is abiding in his word. You know, we're looking how we, we stay connected with Jesus Christ and the way we do it is to listen to him. Listening to him is essential to abiding in him. And as we cultivate our ear to hear him, um, his life works in us to produce spiritual fruit in our lives. And how does he speak? He speaks to us in his word. Speak to us through the spirit working in the word. Passages like John chapter 8, verses 31 32 say that abiding in his word even sets us free. We can look at 1 Peter 2 2. It shows how the Word of God gives nutrients that we need for life. I look at 1 Peter 2 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that in it you may grow up into salvation. You know, the, the Bible is the Word of Christ. It tells us what His will is, it shows us what pleases Him. He, he encourages us, challenges us in it. How will we remain in Christ if we don't listen? How will we know how much he loves us, what he calls us to, the purposes he has for us, unless we spend time in his word? Are you spending time in his word, listening to the things he has to you, making time for that in your schedule, making that in your daily routine with your family, as part of your care group, you know, to be part of that, to, to, to listen to his word, abiding in him. Even the studies that we put in the bulletin each week are our chance to abide in that message over the course of the week, pointing back to Christ, pointing out how we abide in him. Take advantage of those times that you have to get back to him. It's key for spiritual fruitfulness. We need time in God's word if we're going to bear spiritual fruit. All right, so let's look at another thing. Number three, 
Another part of abiding in Christ, which is really drawing from knowing his word. We see number three, abiding is drawing on his love. Drawing on his love. Look at verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And then abide in my love. You know, this is probably a third really important word here, if you think about it. I mean, think how many times love is repeated. So we have, we have fruit, we have abide, and we have love. Probably really the three uh, key repeated words that we see through our passage here. That's because we learn the source of power for Christian living from the love of Christ. It doesn't come from fear. It doesn't come from anxiety. But it comes, as he says, for fullness in dwelling in his love. I mean, love is what propelled him forward. Notice what he says there. He says that his father loved him. And then he, he points to the love that he has in the father as directly in the way that he loves you. With that much love to go around, we should be secure people, shouldn't we? We know that, that children grow up best as they grow in loving homes. And as they grow up in those loving, stable homes, they have a foundation for, for decision-making. They don't think that they have um, to prove things to other people. They know what it is to be love. They can move forward in their own good relationships. Sometimes we think that fear is the best thing or worry is the best thing in order to get kids to move forward. But we remember it isn't. It really is love, providing safety and security. Because we think through spiritual fruitfulness. Remember that ultimately we'll only obey God's commands as we know of his love for us. You know, you won't really confess your sins unless you know that he will forgive you. You will never sacrifice your own desires unless you know how much he's already sacrificed for you. He loves you. He died for your sins so that you can be forgiven. He's given, you every, he's given everything for you. And as you just dwell on that, you'll find the power to bear fruit. That's, as we come to the Lord's Supper, isn't that what we're doing? It's a, it's a chance to, to abide in Christ, to dwell on his love, to feed on his love, to be strengthened in his love. You know, it's the joy of coming to the Lord's Supper on these first Sundays of the month. Okay, so abiding in his love. Now, now that leads into our next uh, point, really our next two points about abiding. Number four, abiding is drawing strength from him for obedience. Abiding is drawing strength from him for obedience. We see that in verse 10 and 11. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Right? You see the connection of love and obedience. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now what happens when we disobey God's commands? Well, what we do even as believers, is we pull away from Christ. When we disobey, we pull away. And, and as we pull away, what happens? We stop, stop drawing on his power. It's like pulling a plug out on our, on, on our spiritual life. We go back. We stay in place. You know, but, but certainly, we're not moving forward and producing fruit. And some of you are doing that. You keep going back to places of anger, places of abuse, places of lust, stealing, ignoring God. You have no spiritual power, and you wonder why. You're pulling yourself away from the vine. But when we obey, what happens? We stay close to Christ, and his life works through us 
works through spiritual veins in changing us. It's in the commitment to obey that we call out to God for the power to obey. Because it's hard at times. It's hard in the fulfillment of the law of love and the commands that are there. And so we cry out for help. I remember a time that I was really discontent in my life. I was struggling with things. I was discontent. I didn't know where things would go in my life. And I remember this time. I said, you know what? I can go one of two ways here, and I'm going to decide to remain close to Christ. And I had to make some practical decisions. I, I committed to praying. I committed myself to a pastor's retreat. I committed to being around other Christian pastors. And, and there was a part of me that didn't want to, who was happy in those things, but another part of me that wanted Christ to work through me in the way that I've known in the past. I didn't know it at the time, but I wanted as I had in the past. So I obeyed. I, I, I took those steps just out of faith, out of trusting him. And it helped. helped enormously. I remember other times of being challenged to obey God's commands, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in honoring a church commitment, whether it's in tithing. In, in, in any of these, I realized that obedience would require a greater trust. It would require a greater closeness. And that by obeying, God would give me power. And it was amazing to see how that's worked out. And that's the way it works out in the life of a believer. But it starts with that commitment to obey. We won't learn the life of Christ working through us unless we trust him in his commands. How often do we run away from obedience? And as a result, we don't get to experience greater power. We don't grow fruit because we cut ourselves off from the source of our fruitfulness. Now, I know some of you are struggling here. You have addiction, depressions, discouragements that keep you down. You take time to, to, to abide in Christ and, and to pray desperately out to God, you know, saying, Lord Jesus, I want to be near to you. Sin pulls me away from you. Doubt pulls me away from you. But I want to obey. Help me obey. Help me to know your strength that helps me say no to sin. The joyful Christian life, Jesus concludes this section by saying it's a fruitful life. Love, joy, peace, and self-control. Well, let's look at our fifth observation in abiding here. We saw last in, that, it's, that it's in, in, we see it in um, obedience. We're drawing on his strength to obey. Number five really grows off of that, though, right? Abiding is drawing on the strength from him for loving others. Right? That's, that's where it's going. This abiding, this fruit is ultimately pointing to this fruit of love that he wants to cultivate in our lives. We love others. Look at his final words in our section here, verse, starting verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The ultimate conclusion is that we abide in Christ. It's seen in the way that we love others. Loving others is obedience to Christ. And we'll only be able to love, really love, by knowing that ultimate model of love for us, the love of Jesus Christ. That's because love demands from us much more than we are ready to give. 
The radical kind of love that sees the needs of others and willingly enters into that need, that will challenge every selfish nerve inside of our body. We may see the suffering of others, we may see the need of others, but will we enter it? Will we enter into the days, hours, months, or years of thankless service for others? Done in love? I know some of you feel worn out by the loving action that you've done. Could be a child, it could be a spouse. Could be worn out in, in ministry or, or, or taking in a person in need. Maybe it's that you've had long periods of, of a lack of appreciation. Maybe you're trying to reconcile with someone and you try and you try, but there's just no reconciliation. Maybe you're trying something new and others just don't seem interested. Now here's, here's the point I marvel at. It's at this point where we're low and we're still loving. As we're low and we're still serving. It's that as we're low and we're being stretched at that point that love demands the most of us, of doing what, what's so hard. It's at that point where we feel the weakest, but we keep on loving, that I think Jesus' power is most powerfully working inside of you. Abide in me. And he points us to love, right? As, as we love, we, and, and we get stretched to that point. We just cry out to the Lord Jesus, God, help me to love. Help me to love. Help me to know your love. Think about Jesus' love for us. He loved us when we were enemies, Romans chapter 5 says. It goes on to say he loved us even in our sin. He died for us even at a time when we were ungrateful. And if we ever saw the power of God in this world, it was in his loving sacrifice for us. The spiritual power that you need for true and genuine love will come only through Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate place for finding the strength and the power of God. We look to Christ. We abide in him. He is the source of life for every Christian. And we praise God that he does not live, leave this Christian life for us to live by ourselves and by our own power. Abide in Christ. Abide in his love. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you call us to spiritual fruitfulness. You call us to love. And God, we want that joy in you, that joy that Jesus promises when he says that our joy will be full. God, we want the self-control which brings us into that love. God, the things that you call us to are impossible for us by ourselves. We need the power of Christ to work in us and through us and to change us. We pray, God, you'd help us to know him and to walk in him and to trust him. We ask you, God, that you would help us to abide in him and that, God, in that he would abide in us to do things beyond our imagination, beyond our strength, all for your honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.